You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Welcome to another episode. Um, I hope you all are doing well and having fun. I'm having fun. It's raining outside, but that's all right because I'm dry, so I don't care. So there's a buzz going on here. I don't think it'll be be very uh, audible on the recording, so I think it's just picking up the soft hum of my computer fan I don't know I'm not gonna worry about it I'm gonna try to not be so close to the microphone I've noticed my podcast is a a lot louder and bassier than others that I listen to so I'm trying to back it off a little bit here and just see uh see how this one turns out I guess so we're gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about context in this episode and the reason why is because we have, um, you know, a lot of people who don't understand context or why it's important. It's highly important. Um, a lot will tell you that the the overall, well, the, the whole meaning of hermeneutics, which, which is interpretation, is... Um, you know, is context. So three rule, rules to applying sound biblical exegete or exegesis is context, context, and context. And the rule is that context rules. So, so if you don't know what a word like exegete or exegesis is, that's a term that's used for Um, And in hermeneutics for the system of interpretation of a biblical text. And when I say text, I just mean scripture or verse. So um, exegeting is the proper way of going about uh, interpreting. What this means is that what we want to do is look at a text, look at its surrounding uh, context... (laughs) the text before, the text after, and draw out the meaning. By drawing out the meaning, we are exegeting the text. The the principle, the truth, the wisdom, the historical factors, um, a historical narrative, you know, whatever it is, what type of literature it's written in, you want to draw the meaning out. And most of what happens today is usually not so much drawing out the meaning, but doing the opposite, which is called eisegesis. Eisegesis is when you 
impose your thoughts or what you think the text means, and you impose it onto the text. Um, I would say that happens a lot as far as um, across the board for mainstream evangelicalism or pop Christianity today. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I check out a lot of um, videos and things like that. I see stuff in my Facebook feed. And we've lost we've lost not just the art of interpreting the scriptures, um, but we, we've lost the art of expository preaching or teaching, which is verse by verse preaching or, you know, exegeting the text, drawing out the interpretation and then giving application for today. And the reason why I say that is because usually, and, and I've done this myself in the past, um, but as I've grown and studied more, I've changed how I, you know, approach uh, speaking, whether it's preaching or whatever, but I, we we've all been guilty of it especially if we're you know in these um you know with quotes you know relevant or emergent uh evangelical you know purpose driven type of churches these big churches that are just you know elaborate stage props and all this stuff and the speaker is usually um starts with a story a personal story um and starts to give the application so we have illustration and then just a pre-application and then hey turn to this and it's just one just one one text it's one sentence sometimes it's half of the sentence um and then they just keep going with um the rest of their illustration or another one and then the application so that is eisegeting instead of exegeting and because of that we've you know not just that i really can't i I wanted to you know say like how did we get here and i don't think anybody has an answer for that except for the one obvious is that nobody's teaching anybody how to read or study the bible so you know uh, along along the way people just stop looking at the Bible as a bunch of little books compiled into one big book, and and it's the only book I've said this before, but it's the only book that would just open up and just start reading. You can't do that with with any other any other book, um, and so so unless you've read it a lot you you sort of know what's going on you just take a look at where you're at and you get a grasp you know for it but it it sometimes can literally be like just dropping somebody off uh, blindfolded in the middle of nowhere and then letting them go and find your way back you know or figure out what to do figure out where you're at um so we we've we've come to to this point so but it it becomes common i'm trying to be nice <laughs> so um it's become common and you know i'm not 
I'm not going to get up all, all up in arms about just a bumper sticker or a shirt or the, the vinyl decals that you can, we can put on the living room wall or, you know, the, you know, pieces of art or whatever like that. Um, taking a verse and just using it, like it, it's called proof texting and proof texting isn't, um, bad necessarily. Um, there's a lot of verses that will stand on their own. Um, they, they say something. The problem is if you don't know the context, we make the, um, the assumption that, oh, that's so good that it stands on its, stands on its own, that we make it mean what we want it to mean. We impose our thoughts or our interpretation onto it. So we eisegete it. And, I I just I just can't do that much anymore. I, of course, there's many many texts in the Bible that I, I've not you know fully studied or anything like that. But um, I think to have the main meaning is what we need. We need to draw draw it out. Like I said, draw out the meaning and then go from there. You know so. Uh, I think it's important, so I want to talk about being out of context, all right? And another another thing that's become common today, besides those two that I just mentioned, is a new term that has been uh, coined as narcissus or narcissus a text, and that's when you place yourself into the text as a character. Um, experiencing something you know what I mean like you put yourself into the story and here's I mean here's the straight-up fact the Bible was not written to you or I like it, it wasn't it's written for us but it's not written to us uh, we have his historical narratives like just straight-up history you know records in there we have all, all this, the whole Old Testament, you know, as really is is going to a certain group of people, and then when we get into the New New Testament, the Gospels, they're all have been they've been constructed to go like Matthew's writing to Jews, so he's he's demonstrating Jesus the best that he can that that where a Jew is going to to read it and pick up on it and the messianic prophecies and in relation to the the old testament um and you know what the everybody every other author has is writing to a different audience except for john seems like john's writing more of the the spiritual aspect the divinity of jesus instead of the the physical if that makes sense. And um, then then the rest is just, we have letters. We're reading a one-sided letter. <laughs> you know, uh, the Corinthians had, had wrote a letter to Paul, and he's replying to it. So we don't, you know, we have to figure out what the questions are, what he's addressing, and why. Uh, so... It's important. So, like words, sentences, thoughts, all these things are connected in the Bible, and interpreting something in its context is a matter of understanding how 
those words, those sentences, and those thoughts are all connected. And if we isolate just a verse by itself, we can completely ignore its context. We can completely ignore its connection to the surrounding texts and thoughts. And then we end up with an incorrect interpretation of what it means. And then we have, we end up with a bad teaching and bad theology. And it happens to the best of us. Um, the problem is when you have people wanting to just impose whatever they want to onto a text, then they're sort of doing it purposely. And here's, here's the reason why. If I already have an illustration and a good application for something, and I've got my sermon prepared, uh, I can just go into my, my Bible app or my Bible software, and whatever the theme is, I can just do a search. And then all these, these scriptures show up that relate to the word that I put in to search for. And then I'll just pick the best one that relates to what I've already come up with. And that that's just an improper way of doing things. Uh, it's misleading. It's um, it, it's sort of it's deceitful. And I've just said, oh, okay, great. I've good. I found a verse to fit my message instead of these verses here are awesome, and this is why, and here's my message for it. Um, so it seems to be quite a a popular approach to the Bible. And then, you know, we devotionals are like that and, and stuff, you know, one or two texts and then write, you know, a, a relatable story to it or whatever. And, okay, you know, you know, I'm not a devotional guy. I'm not putting them down completely. There's really good devotionals out there. But just overall is what I'm saying. Just take a, an overall broad look at it and and. and it, that's the gist of what I'm getting to. So um, there, there's a lot of things that really make a, up the context of a verse, but we're not going to be hitting on all those um, in this episode. Um, but, you know, historical background, um, who's writing, who are they writing to, the audience relevance, you know, the different you know figures of speech and things like that. I'll be addressing those in, in other episodes, but I just um, I just want to look at a couple of couple of things that have been taken out of context, and uh, I guess I'll I'll start with one of the <laughs> one of the most popular ones just to get it out of the way. Well, we all know about Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven or whatever, like. It's historical narrative, so I'm not even going to hit that one up. That one's just so popular, like, if people can't figure that one out, you know, uh, okay. <laughs> I know it sounds like I'm this really um, <laughs> negative guy or whatever. Like, it's just not, it's just, I'd be, I, I've started to study so much, and I, I just love what I find once I started to study you know, in a, in a better way and, and, and all that, that it's actually just like, I hear a lot of stuff like across the board, you know, like out of these mega churches. And I'm like, what is, what are they saying? I don't understand what's going on. So, um, 
so you know if you've listened to some episodes up to this point you'll you'll know I'm, I'm big on the covenant uh the new covenant and that you know jesus was the fulfillment of israel and all that stuff so um we we have this one thing you know that that comes up i, I saw it today i was just driving around i was thinking about it and you see these signs if my people pray you know it's like now they just paraphrased it you know put it on a sign in a yard if my people pray um so what is it? that's that's really popular here in america so it's um well let me get it here <laughs> i put in the wrong one i should have i searched for the wrong one i was getting all prepared for this and i searched for Thessalonians instead of uh, the text I wanted to address. <laughs> so let me get that up here. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and it's usually 14. So let's just look at that. I'm reading from the ESV. And if you have turned to that or you're going to turn at it at some point, you will see this is the middle of a sentence. Yeah, there's a comma, and it starts with if. It's not a. Ca it's not the beginning of a sentence. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's what we usually get, and. So we, again, we just, you know, we're cherry pickers. So there it is. And um, just like everything else, just like Philippians 4.13, you know, I can do all things <laughs> through Christ who strengthens me. We just pluck this right out. We just rip it out of, out of uh, context. And um, yeah. Here's the thing, you know, faith is based on truth. Um, it's not really based on our feelings or our emotions, you know, because Scripture conveys truth because it all is Christ-centered and it all points back to, to Jesus. It's all aligning with Jesus. So, um, you know, those inspirational feelings, those things that just really ramp us up like this text, um, it, it is something that we hear all the time, uh, especially on the National Day of Prayer or meet at the pole or because, you know, an, another law got passed for, you know, for something that's that we, you know, say is sin. And we're like, heal our land, heal our land. And what we mean by heal our land is um, usually um, revival or awakening people repenting so we think if maybe we humble ourselves we as those who are already redeemed placed in christ shall humble ourselves and pray then god will heal the united states because a revival will 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 break out or whatever so all right look let's just all we got to do is just move up a little bit and the problem is we <laughs> 
we have these little these he- headers, these subheaders or headings and stuff like that. And it says right before uh, verse 11, if my people pray real big. All right, but let's just start at 11 and we will go down through 18. And I'm going to read this part, 11 through 18. It's another thing that bugs me um, that when across the board, all right, just a broad, a broad statement on evangelicalism and today is like, well, we're not going to read it all. We're just going to read this part. You guys look it up later. Like, why don't we have enough time to read God's word, especially in a public meeting with so many people listening? Like, eh, we're not going to, you know, why? Just read it. If you've already studied, you've already prepared, you're familiar with the text, you've probably gone over it a half a dozen times, if not more, and you've read it in several different translations, and you you should be able to to read it and, and read it pretty, pretty fast. And it normally isn't going to take but an extra 30 seconds 45 seconds maybe a minute to read it in context and that's not a big loss of time especially when we're giving that time to to pay attention to god's word so um you know usually and i've i've done it i've done it myself all right so um it just seems to be a a a thing to say or something i don't know so Verse 11, thus Solomon, okay, it's Solomon. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you if you will walk before me as David, your father, walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne, as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, the first rule to biblical interpretation is the rule of context. And it's usually context, context, context. And the rule is context rules. So, here's some questions to ask about this particular verse. That can only be answered by knowing it in its full context. Who is speaking? God God is speaking to Solomon. If we were to go even fuller, um, read an even fuller context of this portion, um, 
God is responding to Solomon's prayer from chapter 6. Um, and Solomon's prayer in chapter 6 is the dedication of the new temple in Jerusalem. So God's responding to that. And then he says, my people, who is my people? It's Israel, and it's the nation called by my name. Is that what he says? My people is not America. <laughs> um, not, not even uh, any, any nation or Christians as a whole. It means only the historic nation of Israel here. So what's this place in verse 12? It's the temple, the one that that I just said that so- Solomon had, had finished building, the new temple. Uh, where is it? It's in Jerusalem. These are questions that you should ask when you come across this stuff. So um, in the land it, in that's being referenced there in verse 14, um, that's the land of Israel. <laughs> That was the original promised land that God gave to Israel. All right. So, and then what does heal their land mean? So, if you look right before that, it means that God will remove the things that He has done because of judgment. (laughs) He's made a drought. He said, He has shut up the heavens. So, there's no rain. Um, the command of the locust devoured their land, it says, and there was pestilence among his people. So um, they were being disobedient. He has judged them, and healing their land would mean just that. It wasn't. It was. Re- it wasn't a spiritual healing. It wasn't actual physical healing it was replenishing uh the land back to being being fruitful so um that that's that would have been really important to them just think there's been no rain locusts have eaten up all your crops pestilence is among everybody god's gonna heal the land now um it wasn't a revival it wasn't an awakening and so that doesn't mean any of that for us either. So I know people would say, well, there's got to be that spiritual you know, context in it. But this is a, a historical narrative that has to do like we just pluck it out and say that we can use it for for us. Um, and, and then when when you a further thing to realize is when you see um, in, in 17 and 18, um, he's ta- he talks about establishing a royal throne with a covenant with David and all that stuff. So uh, he's speaking in reference to his covenant that was established with Solomon's dad, David. And it says that God's commitment to Israel is based on their obedience to his commands. Uh, for, you know, uh, also that, you know, that plays into the royal throne. Um, for uh, of Sol- Solomon based on his obedience. Sorry, I, <laughs> uh, 
uh, whatever. Uh, I stumble on my my speech sometimes. Um, so if you're not aware of 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 those things and the covenant that's there, and then you should know the covenant has been replaced. And if you disagree with that, read Hebrews. <laughs> so. And, and so that's that's the thing is it's that should be enough. There's a not, there's more stuff to learn from this as a whole in that in this part of scripture, but that's enough right there to understand that it does not mean um, <laughs> or con- like and it shouldn't it shouldn't be expected to mean for for any any people any land. Or whatever, just especially America. Um, the promises offered were for Israel under the Davidic covenant, and it was exclusive to them at that time. So it wasn't for any other people at any other time and any other place. Um, like I said, it's historical narrative, and it only applies at that time, place, those people, in the context when God originally uttered it. So, um, you know he he always he always had that one cho- chosen nation and as we've seen Jesus fulfilled that and he was Israel so it's not America so there's just no valid uh, you know interpretive principle here that allows this verse to be applied to us. <laughs> It can it can do violence to the scripture to just pluck a verse out and think that, and and because we wrong wrongly apply it, um, so by doing so we've wrongly applied it to America. You know, ignoring the the fact that we're a secular place. It's a secular state, and it was based on freedom of religion of any religion. That no one religion would be placed higher than another. So that's in the First Amendment. So when you say it was founded as a Christian nation, it doesn't matter how much historical evidence you have to prove that. They still gave freedom of religion to where none was higher than any other to to say, huh, ours is better or whatever. Or no, you can't do that because this is the religion of this country. The founders could have been or were Christian, yeah, but uh, it just does not justify anything um, that's going on today. So, uh, <laughs> um, it, it's just it's just a way. It, it's just it's old, and people don't look at the context, and therefore we misapply it and. We think that if we do this, then something's going to happen. And, you know, uh, it does say humble, you know, humble ourselves. We should humble ourselves. We should pray. We should pray for this nation. We should pray for all nations. Um, And we we should seek God, right? But a corporate repentance or uh, on behalf of a nation, it's not biblical anymore because we're in a new covenant and it's based on individuals not a corporate nation not a group of people so you know 
the whole national promises and things like that we don't have that it's it's all it's all been fulfilled in jesus it's to individuals and um and plus you know hey in this context here the the temple of jerusalem is has been destroyed for two millennia you know so the seek god maneuver can only be done in one place in those you know in these days um (laughs) which is um uh, seek him in our lives and we're the temple so that's what's applicable there but you know it it's not a biblical formula for revival or an awakening um, we should pray in another uh, another way or use different scriptures for that not this one um, uh, but but we don't ever consider what 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 comes right after that in verse 19 if you know um <laughs> and this is but if you turn aside and forsake my statues and my commandments that i have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them then i will pluck you up from my land that i have given you in this house that i have consecrated for my name i will cast out of my sight and i will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples so, you know, why is that ever applied? Why don't we just take the one and for 14 and, and throw that all over the place? <laughs> so there you go. That's Second Chronicles 7, uh, 14 in context. And that's the reason why it, it needs to be in context so we don't be straight out of context. So let's go to one more text before we uh, tie a bow on this. And hopefully you're learning a little bit. I don't know if I'm, you know, really going into enough detail for you to learn, but I'm giving examples. So uh, the, the next one in question, the next text that is, would be Philippians 1. And the text is verse 6. And that says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. All right. There it is. <laughs> so um, this is the beginning. This is one. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus, uh, of Christ Jesus, right? So we verses 1 and 2 are the greeting, and then it goes into what it says of thanksgiving and prayer. So let's just start from, from 3, and we will, I don't know, we'll, go, we'll just go through it. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you, for you 
are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So there there it is in context. And sometimes sometimes the the um the verse in question um is is used for once saved always saved so so that would be a, a, a not apparent there because when you go back up to three four and five it becomes apparent that the good work that's mentioned in verse six it refers back to their partnership in the gospel um the church at Philippi was partnered with Paul through their giving, their donations, and help him um, with the, his ministry, and they were sharing in in his fruit. And if you look at the tail end of this letter, in uh, chapter four through uh, near the end, fifteen and eighteen, he's 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 saying that n- n- not one other church has shared with me or shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you guys only. And so he, the good work which had begun in them that Paul was confident in that God would carry on to completion was their partnership in the gospel. So taking that out of context for once saved, always saved, not the case. However, this is a good example, though, of it being applicable when this is a verse that we, you know, and we have so many that we just, you know, we just throw them out there all the time, right? Um, This does have spiritual application, and it is truthful that if we um, say that, you know, to somebody or in prayer that, yeah, our salvation is secure. We're in Christ. And, you know, we're holy, we're righteous, we're all those things in the new covenant. And we're sanctified, even though sanctification is still an ongoing process, too, just like our maturity and everything else. Um, the work will come to completion um, by saying that, you know, we are in the eternal now, you know, as far as eternally in Christ. Um, but death has no sting, right? And I'm probably taking that out of context. (laughs) But um, it will come to completion with the day of Jesus when we come face to face with him. So that is an example of how there is an original context there for for interpretation, but it also has applicability. While others are just historical narratives, uh, they were for a certain place, a certain time, a certain people spoken by a certain person, whether it's God or somebody else. And it was for them right then and there. And it just cannot be used. But this one 
this one can as long as it's used for the right reasons and not a um you know a uh, a, a faulty doctrine or a man-made teaching So thanks for listening to another episode of the Kingdom Project Podcast. Check us out on Facebook, like us, uh, share share this episode or share the page. If you have any questions or comments or disagreements, you can email me at thekingdomprojectpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review and, and rate us. Until next time, be a mustard seed. Be leaven and thanks. <laughs>